it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. We had a wild week. So glad you're staying with us through the entire time. We have a big hour. Admiral James Tarbidas is standing by a little bit early, so that's how big the news is. And Mark Thiessen at the bottom of the hour, Washington Post columnist, Fox News contributor, uh, to put it all in perspective. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's the roast type of politics is hateful politics to raise his national profile what the texas governor is doing is just so anti-american really uh border war at our southern border and between new york and texas adam sees fame opportunities by pushing back against illegal immigrants being dropped in new york city by governor abbott i see opportunity lost the bottom line is taxpayers lose drugs pour in national security is compromised and cities rot Number two. We have some new information on a violent, unprovoked attack in the Bronx. The suspect is back on the streets after being released without bail. Unbelievable. Violent crime raging in every major Democratic-run city, and most of it has been caught on tape. Yet we still have nothing being done to make criminals pay the price. The result is death, destruction, and now desertion of the major cities. We'll share the story in the stats. Number one. The problem is that the Department of Justice is rather notorious uh, for using redactions. They have a, a rather odd incentive uh, that the more they redact, the more likely they can get more time. You have a week to redact exact names and then release the written rate reason. You raided Mar-a-Lago. That was the message from the judge who greenlighted the nine-hour FBI invasion as the Trump-obsessed media focuses on all things Trump instead of what really affects the country. And I don't care if you're the biggest Trump fan or the biggest critic. We should not be talking about Donald Trump all the time. Uh, there's so much other stuff going on. Case in point, my next guest, Admiral James Stravitas, best-selling author, Nine Conflicts in the Crucible of Decision, Risk It All is the name of the book. And he also has a, a book that's now a must-read, a novel of the next world war, which read like something from the news. Uh, Admiral, welcome back. Great to be with you, Brian. Admiral, first off... Um, your thoughts about us going back into this Iranian decision, this Iranian deal, knowing that it's about to expire, knowing that it looks as though the weaponized uranium is going to go to Russia and we're paying to do it. And if a president comes in and reverses the deal, that weaponized uranium comes back to Iran. I'm skeptical of the deal. I always have been. And as you get toward the end of the timeline, as you correctly point out, it's a decreasing value for the West to go into this because you have to lift the sanctions, but then the sanctions won't go back into effect when the limits come off. And as you correctly point out, this enriched uranium will be held kind of off camera, off stage by the Russians. So you've got to wonder when you see Vladimir Putin going to Tehran and having hugs with his best friends in Iran, uh, how scrupulous the accounting will be on that 
uh, offshore enriched uranium. And then third and finally, Brian, you didn't mention it, but what makes me skeptical about the deal is um, I, I just don't see the Iranians um, backing off their support for these uh, terrorists, insurgents, Hezbollah that threatens Israel. Not even part of the deal. Um, no, exactly. So I am very skeptical that there's much uh, much to recommend this. The, the only thing I can see where the administration is coming from is – because we're in the middle of this conflict with Ukraine, they're trying to avoid another active war in the Middle East. Got that. But uh, giving Iran the opportunity to move toward a program without any real restrictions uh, worries me a great deal. Absolutely. The other thing I worry about is uh, Israel's not going to allow it to happen. And if Israel takes action, you've got a Middle East war. Indeed. And let's not forget um, two months ago, uh, President Biden was in uh, Jerusalem, stood next to the prime minister of Israel, Pierre oh, yeah. Lapid, and, and said, I think correctly, that the United States and Israel together would never allow Iran to possess a nuclear weapon. So you're kind of all in with the Israelis, and that is the key that could unlock another war in the Middle East. You're exactly right. Uh, we a got lot two, to worry about Two there. other areas I'd love to discuss with you, uh, and one is Afghanistan. We lo- looks like a report came out we left $7 billion worth of equipment behind, and the rise of ISIS-K taking on the Taliban, who are bad in their own right, uh, as well as, you know, Josh Rogan writes today how many— Afghanistan journalists we left behind and American allies we left behind. One year later, what should the American people know about that operation? Uh, I think ultimately um, it was the capstone on a failed 20-year effort. Let's be honest about it. And certainly the failures run across both political parties, all the administrations that were involved, the admirals and the generals who were involved, including myself as Supreme Allied Commander of NATO. So point one, it's a long effort with plenty of blame to go around. Point two, we ought to pull it apart and understand why we failed. And I think I have yet to see that kind of accountability uh, on the tracks. I think that's very important. And third and finally, Brian, um, we need to do all that we can to clean up the mess. And that includes uh, continuing our efforts to get out those who stood with us, the Afghans, um, not just the journalists, but the interpreters, the those who worked in our embassy. There are still by some estimates, well over 100,000. We need to redouble our efforts to get them out by any means, either uh, overtly or clandestinely. However we need to do it, we need to keep our faith with those who are still there. Admiral, you tell me within the Pentagon there is nobody looking at this holistically, this 20-year Afghanistan war. Forget about the exit, exit aside. Nobody is looking at this? No, that's unfair. Um, there, there are efforts underway. The U.S. Army, which, of course, had the bulk of the effort there, certainly the Marines very involved, Navy somewhat, Air Force somewhat. But U.S. Army appropriately is taking a long look at this thing, and they've issued a couple interim looks at it. I think this is bigger than any one service. It's bigger than the Department of Defense because state plays a role in this. USAID, Department of Defense, obviously, intelligence community. We need an interagency effort to pull this thing apart and figure out where we failed, why we failed, how to avoid it the next time. So let's pivot to Ukraine. Uh, Here's General Jack Keane on the sense that 
Uh, my question to him an hour ago was if the Ukrainians aren't making gains by the late fall winter, uh, is this operation over and will the West lose interest? Here's what he said. Cut 37. But the Ukrainians have a concern, and they've been stating it quietly. They're not confident that the United States and the international community will be able to sustain them through this counteroffensive. And I hope that's not the case. But that, that's a belief that they mm-hmm. have, that the weapons are going to dry up on them. This is what Putin is counting on. I know. He is counting on Ukrainian fatigue here, and that the Europeans and, the, and yes, the United States, will not keep the kind of support that's needed for the Ukrainians to be successful. Even though the the Russians have made almost no gains, even though the Ukrainians have made gains of late and the high Mars are being effective, does he have a legitimate, does Zelensky have a legitimate worry? He does have a legitimate worry. And these are two uh, foot races that are in balance. One is um, patience on the part of the West. And and here I'm with General Jack as usual, which is to say, I hope we can keep our efforts going. Now, hope is not a strategy, but on the plus side, I continue to see Brian's support for Ukraine across the political spectrum, even if the political landscape here in the United States is different after the election in November. I think that will continue. Um, On the other side, and this is the good news, Putin is burning through uh, troops. He's opening prisons. Uh, He's conscripting Ukrainians from the Donbass to fight for him. Um, He is uh, throwing everything he's got because he doesn't want to conduct a mobilization, a draft inside of Russia. So he's got his problems. Zelensky has his problems. Personally, I would rather be playing the board game that Zelensky is. His game of risk is high, but it's not as high as Vladimir Putin's in my, my estimate. Well, a couple of things I'm understanding, too, is that uh, I talked to somebody who's just helping out over there, uh, a retired guy who's still in his prime, by the way. He said, look, the way the Russians look at it, uh, the Russians have 25 percent of the country and they got time. They don't care about their people. They don't care about the carnage. They don't worry about body counts. So if they could get 25 percent of the country and they can hold it already, that's considered a success. Do you understand that mindset? understand the mindset. I would push back on it and say the Russian objective was 100 percent of the country and accomplishing that in a week or two with minimal casualties. Um, In that context, now that they have, I'd say, probably closer to 20 percent of the country, but okay, let's call it 25 percent. That's a failing grade on any test I've ever taken. And a point two, Brian, to be made is there, as General Jack says, their offense has come to a grinding halt, and it's because they don't have the troops and they don't have the equipment. And I don't think that's going to magically appear. So, again, if you think of this as a game of battleship, um, I'd rather be on Zelensky's side of that board than on Putin's. So what did you take from the Chinese uh, military Mm -hmm. exercises around Taiwan, being that you've studied it so much and you wrote a book about it for the most part? What did you take from what they showed you? Well, first of all, I was uh, uh, invalidated the intelligence that we have. It validated many of our beliefs that China would begin with the blockade, long-range missile strikes, positioning amphibious. We kind of got a look at their hand of cards. That's pretty helpful. Uh, Point two, 
they did it uh, with efficiency and capability. But let me tell you something, Brian, as we have discovered watching the Russians, um, exercises are different than combat. And so uh, they showed us their capability to move out and encircle and do quite a bit. Uh, but let's see what happens when the Taiwanese and if we decide to go in, start firing back. And then uh, thirdly, what I take away from it is and we knew this. This is the ultimate red line for the Chinese, and they are not going to uh, allow the Taiwanese to step up into a state of independence. So a uh, storm warning ahead. Um, we need to stay very focused on this if we're going to avoid uh, walking into a war. All right. Pick up his book, Risk It All, Nine Conflicts and the Crucible of Decision. But if you want to know how this war might play out, uh, pick up 2034, a novel of the next world war. And you always have the sailor's bookshelf, 50 books to know the sea. Admiral, thanks so much. Always great. Brian, thank you. Talk soon. Bye. You got it. Uh, when we come back, your turn, one 408 7669 So we didn't talk Trump, but I will with you. Uh, this affidavit is going to be released in some way, shape, or form. I'm sure there will be a lot of redactions and a little bit less, a little bit less, and we'll know a little bit more. Should President Trump release the surveillance video that he has inside Mar-a-Lago of nine hours worth of ransacking by the FBI? Uh, And number three, John Bolton, the biggest Trump critic out there outside Liz Cheney, said that Donald Trump is wiping the floor with Merrick Garland. Do you agree? This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The problem is that the Department of Justice is rather notorious uh, for using redactions, and they have sort of a perverse incentive here. If they over-redact, it's more likely the judge will disagree, which means that they can go on appeal and delay any release further. So they have a a rather odd incentive uh, that the more they redact, the more likely they can get more time. But we will have to see if this judge is willing to go mano a mano with the Department of Justice and say, look, this is excessive. I, I think he'll go a little bit. That was Jonathan Turley today. Uh, that, I think he'll go toe-to-toe a little bit. But for the most part, this guy's a very Democratic, Merrick Garland-friendly judge that green-lighted this raid because of what he read. Okay. You saw that you got the warrant. You got it green-lighted. Go. So the affidavit, he reads and says there's no reason why people can't learn more about this. But I thought Geraldo had the best point yesterday, and I'll bring it up to him. He said that he was stunned to see the announcement. Uh, one of the pushbacks from the Justice Department was this is the beginning of it. This is the early stages of an investigation, and it would jeopardize sources and methods. Excuse me? Early stages. The early stages of an investigation, you start by raiding a former president's house for the first time in history, Brazil style, Venezuelan style. Are you kidding? 
Here's Alina Haba last night. He's Trump. She's Trump's attorney. Cut one. I think that there won't be very much transparency. I would expect it will get a lot of black ink all over that piece of paper. If I was the DOJ, a Biden DOJ, I'd probably be redacting everything other than the word and and the. So we're going to have to see what they kick back. The one good thing um, that this judge did say is that he will take a look at it. If it's too um, heavily redacted, he will do so himself. So he's encouraging them to try and give us some sort of clarity. I think the, there's a lot of people here that are just waiting, including the Trump team, to see what the basis was when you have a coordinating uh, president. I mean, any person, but let alone a president. Uh, for, Mer- for the reports are that Merrick Garland surprised about the backlash. When reports in the Wall Street Journal say Merrick Garland thought about doing this long and hard for weeks before they actually did the raid. It wipes out the legitimacy of urgency. When you get the warrant on a Friday, don't raid till Monday. It wipes out the, the legitimate explanation that it's an emergency. Sure, you obviously had a whistleblower, a person on the inside that was concerned, but you're already meeting with the administration, the former administration. You've already been to Mar-a-Lago in early June, and then you do this. It brings nothing but questions. And now the, the former administration, Donald Trump saying, you know what, maybe I'll release some of that nine hours of footage of you guys ransacking my club and going through my wife's closet and her drawers. Why not show that? So I don't think that's necessarily the best move. It just gets people angrier. But if you're Donald Trump, at what point does it get too much? It doesn't seem to be bothered by the raid. It doesn't seem to be bothered by the investigation in Georgia. They're In October, I guess they're going after his company and they're putting him on trial. His CFO is going to jail for five months and has to testify. He evidently misappropriated $1.7 million and put it towards personal use over the course of 40 years. So over the course of 40 years, the 75-year-old got $1.7 million that was company money that went to things like company cars and tuition for his grandkids' schools over the course of 40 years. You understand that? Out of everything that's going on in the world, from the crazy crime, the death of a cabbie on Saturday night, uh, because he didn't want to let these guys beat him on a fair. When a, a guy is standing at the edge of a rail, uh, of the subway and gets blindsided and knocked to the ground and currently in a, in a chemically induced coma with a brain bleed, and that guy is out and about, you're going after Donald Trump's CFO. With all these legal cases in the balance, you really think that Donald Trump in particular would be nervous He's not. For some reason, he seems to thrive in these areas. And as of now, depending on what that affidavit says, he's winning that war on Mar-a-Lago. Because the more you think about it, these documents, the meetings that took place already, the false claims that nuclear secrets were there, that he might be selling them off to somebody else, all Russian hoax-like. When we come back, I'll bring this up to Mark Thiessen. And also talk about what we really should be talking about, from the Iranian deal to inflation the terrible deal Joe Biden just signed. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. We should be winning and we're not. And it, 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 I would just be beating my head against well, Lay on top of that, this Mar-a-Lago story, which might be the biggest story since 9-11. If this thing turns out to be substantial, which I suspect that it will, 
every Republican's going to have to say, well, what, what did you say about this? This is what you said. Do you, do you still believe that? And you stand with Donald Trump because they got to say to stand with Donald Trump because if they don't, they lose a substantial part of their base. It's a very tricky issue for them. Look, uh, that's that's a school of thought. That's an idea. It's not really tricky. It's the same Donald Trump story over and over again from 2015. Mark Thiessen joins us now. Uh, presidential speechwriter George W. Bush, Fox News contributor, Washington Post columnist. Mark, uh, welcome. What do you think about what Carville just said? Um, it, well, there's some truth to what he's saying, which is that uh, that it, there is a tricky issue for uh, for Republicans. But of course, we don't. The problem is we don't. What what most Republicans are saying, which is right, is that we don't know what what what's we don't know if it's a legitimate search or not because we don't have the affidavit, we don't have the information. I'm open to the possibility that it was a legitimate search um, because mishandling classified information is a serious is a serious issue. But we don't know that Donald Trump mishandled classified information. We don't know what the predicate of the of the of the, of the search was, and so. And no one trusts the Justice Department and no one trusts the FBI because they've been spent they've spent seven years relentlessly pursuing Donald Trump. They they lied to the FISA court. They falsified information. They they used the Clinton funded Clinton campaign funded Steele dossier to spy on the Trump campaign. They pursued the Russia collusion conspiracy theory for two years, which ended up being being disproven by the Mueller report. You've got. Senator Grassley now says that FBI whistleblowers, so people within the FBI, came to him and said that senior officials were conspiring to suppress the Hunter Biden investigation. You got Merrick Garland, who who weaponized the FBI to intimidate parents. So there's there's no predicate of trust. There's no predicate. I'm not going to assume that the FBI, what the FBI, if you had gone to me seven years ago and and the FBI did something like this and said, do we trust them? I'd say, yeah, of course I trust them. They're the FBI. They're one of the most trusted organizations in America. But that trust has been absolutely destroyed. So it's absolutely legitimate to raise questions about whether this is whether this was a legitimate search or not. It was a lawful search, but was was it was it uh, legitimate? I I will tell you, in talking to people in the Trump camp from the first day it happened to today, they just uh, think they're way over their skis. They think this is not rooted in anything that is weighted by what they did and. They come in the big scheme of things. You want to go after Donald Trump. Obviously, what's happening in New York is pure politics. This investigation into Trump organization, the CFO goes to Rikers Island for one point seven million over the course of 40 years in which they say a company car and paying tuition for his kids using company funds is warranted to go to jail when you could assault someone, murder someone and be out with an ankle bracelet is nuts. But what's happening in Georgia, they got to find out what happened there. I have nothing against that. Uh, but with this is a total unnecessary to me, if I'm the FBI, I'd say, you know, we're having credibility issues. You really want me to raid Mar-a-Lago? Do you just so you know, Merrick Garland, I do this and there's going to be all types of problems uh, on top of everything else the FBI is doing, which is pursuing legitimate terrorists and trying to push back on China, who's trying to infiltrate every element of our society. And that thing that leaked out right away, it could be nuclear codes. Could be nuclear codes. What do you mean? He came in a manila folder. Our nuclear folds, our, our codes are in a manila folder. Is he selling it to Russia, North Korea? People are actually speculating that. Here, here's what I think on that. First, first of all, I agree with everything you just said. But again, if you're going to take the unprecedented step of raiding the home of a former president, you have to do it with unprecedented transparency. 
and they are not. They're fighting the release of the. Uh, yeah. of the they should be voluntarily going through and redacting. Like I, under, I get redacting some of the of the affidavit because if you have sources, you don't want to burn them and all the rest of that. But they should have voluntarily been doing that, not being forced to do it by a, by a court of law, uh, because the trust the the trust is broken on the nuclear stuff. You know what? It, 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 they did, they didn't say even when it was the codes. They said it was just nuclear information. I I, I have a theory which which may or may not be true. Is I think Trump just kept his letters with Absolutely. Little Rocket Man. He, he, he wanted uh, them, right? <laughs> he had this beautiful what he thought was a beautiful exchange, and so he kept them. That that's not like you know that's not like endangering hey, the republic. Mark, you worked uh, in a way to do that. I, I've yeah. been there. Uh, that and that's you know I've been there. I had a chance to interview, take tours. Uh, interview people there. Okay, that that's my experience. You were directly there every day. That's where you worked. So, having said that, if I really wanted to find out how all this stuff ended up in Mar-a-Lago, I'd ask. And by the way, who was there that day? Everyone's logged in. Who's the one carrying out the boxes? Most of it's caught on video. Who was directing what boxes to take out? Easy to say. Go interview some guy who's making thirty-two thousand dollars a year. Was asked to bring X, Y, and Z out. Let's find out what was unloaded into Mar-a-Lago. Let's go take a look. Let's go look inside. You could This could have been easily done, and then there would have been a report where Donald Trump made it very difficult to reclaim a lot of the stuff he took. The first 15 boxes were easy. The latest were hard. And then it's a one-day story. But instead, yeah. it is a huge story. And what I thought was struck by is one of their arguments was when one of the arguments to keeping this secret was this is the beginning, the early stages of an investigation. I was like, "Are you kid? Did you actually say you that?" The president's house in the early stages of an investigation. What? That's insane. Yeah, that's insane. I want to bring yeah. it to politics if I can. Uh, a few studies came out on what matters most in Michigan and in Arizona, two states in which you would argue that Republicans have to win in the climate general. Change, right? Yeah, no, listen to climate this. Change. I was shocked Not though. Number change. one is abortion. Number two is inflation. Number three is jobs in the economy. Number four is election integrity. Number five is voting rights. Seems similar. Um, another, uh, this is from the AARP abortions. Number one with the AARP that's seniors. I found that kind of interesting. Um, uh, Arizona border security, number one inflation, number two at tied in number one inflation, just four points back abortion. Uh, so this is abortion is a very real topic. It came from the Supreme court. That's who put it front and center. You can't blame Donald Trump for that. You can put him maybe for putting conservative judges there. So this is a major thing. So they're saying now a 60 percent chance the Democrats keep the Senate. And now the the red wave is very much in question in the House. How do you see it, Mark? I don't see that the red wave is being stopped by it because of abortion. Uh, I, I'm sorry. First of all, first of all, one of the things that they never ask when they say, like, is abortion like your top issue? They never ask, oh, by the way, are you pro-life or pro-choice? Because, yeah. <laughs> because if you ask the people who are voting on abortion as their number one issue, a lot of them are pro-life. So, you know, we don't know uh, what, uh, what the impact of that is. The, if the Senate is in, in, in you know, first of all, the, the other thing you got to keep in mind is we had like the Fox News poll came out is, is saying that Ron Johnson is four points behind uh, in, in his Senate race. The our real clear politics average in 2016 had him down three points and he ended up winning, winning by three and a half. So I don't, I don't, I don't trust polls necessarily as being a- accurate. But if you, it's all we have to go on right now. Uh, Oz is behind Fetterman by 11 points. Uh, Masters is behind uh, behind Kelly by uh, by eight to ten points. If it, if these are in the like the yep. five thirty eight average. Uh, Herschel Walker is losing by three. That's close. That's tight. Uh, Vance is in a statistical tie in Ohio. Rob Portman won that seat by twenty points. 
Ohio should not be in play. So, uh, you know, the reality is, is that we've, we've, like, just as we did in 2010, we've picked some it, it less than less than ideal candidates in some of these races. And I hope they win because it's the, the, the fate of the Republic literally is in, in the, in the balance. If they get to a point in the Senate, if they hold on to the house and get to the point in the Senate where they have, where they don't need uh, uh, cinema and mansion on the, on the filibuster, uh, then all bets are off uh, in terms of what they're going to do to our country. Um, and, you know, Trump owns this. Trump, Trump picked the handpicked these candidates, entered into the primaries. If they win, he gets the credit. If we take back the Senate, good for him. He did it. If we lose, uh, then that's the second time we lost control of the Senate because it was in the, he, he, you know, he told 400,000 Georgia voters that the system was rigged and they didn't go to the polls in the runoff elections. Um, and we let that's why we have one point seven one point nine trillion dollar uh, spending bill. That's why we have eighty seven thousand IRS agents because we lost the Senate. Uh, so I, I, it, it, it's it, it's a big gamble on Trump's behalf. If he wins, if he bet, if he wins the bet, good for him. Give him credit. But if he lose, but if we lose the Senate and lose a chance, a historic chance to win, to win back the Senate, then uh, that's on him. No question. And if he wins, he's got a big role to to go uh, go get four more years. He certainly would get the nomination because he's got 187 victories, and on the, you know, yeah, some a lot of, them of those 187 victories are, are you know that's like the Harlem Globetrotters playing the beating the Washington Generals. True. There's, there's, there's a handful of there's a handful of those that are really good that were really competitive where he went in and made a big difference. But he's, he's running up his numbers by claiming all sorts of he, endorsing people right. who had you know 99.9 percent chance of winning. Couple of things. Uh, I looked at. I know he always trails, but Ron Johnson's trailing by four in Wisconsin yeah. to Mandela Barnes. That has nothing to do with Donald Trump, but he is a big Donald Trump supporter. Uh, a couple other things. Mark Mark Kelly, uh, who is a do nothing senator, who has done nothing on the border until the last few days, now walking away from uh, Biden. Blake Masters got tremendous talent and potential, so he hasn't really gotten started yet. Just got the nomination. I look at J.D. Vance, and I see he's a very intelligent, broad-based guy. These are the types of people we want in office. And if you look at Dr. Oz, a surgeon, Ivy League trained, became a multimillionaire, top talk show host, these are the types of people we want different people from walks of life to run. I mean, I like that he has 10 houses. I wouldn't have run from that. If I could afford 10 houses, became the number two syndicated talk show host, and by the way, an esteemed surgeon, and you want to go make $200,000 and work in the Senate? I'm all, that's called the American, that's a called service. So I don't have a problem with Herschel Walker saying, hey, I came from nothing, outstanding athlete, legitimate, credible businessman. I went down and witnessed it myself. I've talked to people that worked under his uh, auspices with Cisco and everything else that he's done. And now he says, you know, I'm going to go run for office. All right. But isn't that kind of what was meant by politics? Yeah, absolutely. Look, if 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 these guys win, more power to them. It's great. Um, and uh, you know, it's it's. But again, it's, it's, it's an experience. They got to perform. Yeah, but you right. got. But I mean, you know, this is this is this isn't uh, little league. This is this is the major leagues. Uh, this is the, this is the fate of the republic in in, in, in this way. So I would I would uh, you know I hope they win. I'm pulling for them. I'm I'm a little bit less sanguine than you are on on JD Vance because he is just some of the things he said about Ukraine. Are one are just horrible, uh, but 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 also 
really politically stupid because there is a huge Ukrainian vote in Ohio that votes Republican. There's a reason that Rob Portman is the chairman of the House Ukraine Caucus, of Senate Ukraine Caucus, because Ukrainian Americans are a huge voting block in Ohio. And he keeps going out and saying we shouldn't be spending money on Ukraine. We should be spending money on uh, on Americans and all this. You're right. That's dumb. Crap. You know, that, that even whether whatever you think of Ukraine, that's really politically stupid in a state like Ohio, where Ukrainian Ukrainian American voters are a huge Republican voting block. Uh, so, you know, that that's just, that's that's political stupidity. I agree. And plus, I disagree. And you know how I feel about it. Uh, I, know, so, I know. Here is Senator yep. Mitch McConnell on some of the most least inspirational words I've ever heard. Cut 26. I think the, the, there's a, probably a greater likelihood the House flips than the Senate. Senate races are just different. They're statewide. Uh, candidate quality has a lot to do with the outcome. If that's me, and even if it's Chuck Schumer, I go out there, I work with him. Hey, guys, I need, let me, every day, I want to put my best guy with you, my best woman with you is going to be coaching. You got a problem with press. You got a problem with messaging. You got a problem, you got to, you know, make your, uh, uh, punctuate more, uh, dress down, dress up, whatever it is. I don't sit there and say, you know, I had nothing to do with that. Is he sensing, I don't care if I win the Senate because these are Trump pick candidates? If so, Mark, isn't that out of control? idiotic um so it's rick scott's job to do that he's the chairman of the senatorial committee but uh yeah. and and mitch and mitch mcconnell uh you know i'm sure he's doing whatever he can for for all the republican candidates but do you, but did, did you get that way can, can i start with that mark is he i thought i would have said that until i heard this two or three different times uh, not just this soundbite. Other times, sta- I think he's stating reality, which is that we have a, we're we're in a real tough situation in the in the Senate. Now, the good news is is that in 2024, it's almost guaranteed we're going to take back the Senate because the class is so lopsided. Uh, did, I think that there are like nine or ten how, uh, Senate races that are competitive and the Democrats are defending, and there are zero Republicans running in states that Joe Biden won. So the the if we don't take back the Senate this time around, we're going to take it back in 2024. And I don't think Mitch McConnell wants to, you know, I, I, he's looking at, look, Donald Trump went in and 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 pushed all these candidates against the ones that McConnell and and and, and the Senate Republicans were doing. And he won a lot of those primaries, not not with a lot of the vote. You know, J.D. Vance, 68 percent of Ohio voters voted for somebody other than J.D. Vance in the in the Republican primary. But in a crowded field. Yeah, Trump's endorsement moving 10 or 15 percent of the vote uh, makes it makes a difference. So now he owns those. Um, and again, uh, I, I think, you know, he, what Trump tends to do is, uh, he is if, he, if they lose the uh, the votes, he's going to turn around and blame Mitch McConnell <laughs> for it. So, you know, I, I think I think what McConnell is saying, look, you went into these primaries and you did this. It's all yours. <laughs> you know, you said the Senate is in your hands. And uh, and if you and if you win, God bless you. And if you lose, then I'm not owning this. Uh, um, as usual, Mark, and, I've gone too long, but I'm going to give you a sports analogy to show you how run that is. If Aaron okay. Judge wanted to get Soto uh, during the trip before the trade deadline, he doesn't get it. It's not okay to strike out the rest of the season. It's not okay to phone it in, show up yeah. late, and not take batting practice because you didn't I like agree. the move the GM made. You have I your agree. job is to win, and you yeah. do everything you can. So that that's how short sighted. This is a guy who's almost eighty. I mean, does he really want four years of the majority or two? Just be selfish. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, but Mark, you're too well, interesting t- for my own good. I will, tell, 
I will, I will tell you that uh, D- Mitch McConnell is the reason why we, uh, why we have uh, the Dobbs decision and the, and the 6-3 majority of the Supreme Court. So he can, he can make a lot of mistakes, and, uh, and, uh, and I'll never, uh, I'll never uh, well, I will forgive a lot because of that. I understand, but this is uh, – and I'm not a critic. I don't wake up in the morning criticizing him, but I just say I just can't believe this, what, what I'm witnessing. Mark, we'll talk to you again, and I'll read your columns. Is that right. okay? Take care. Bye. Brian Kilmeade, Joe. We're back with your calls in just a moment. Don't move. A radio show of the people for the people. You're with Brian Kilmeade. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. I'm so glad we called SOS. Our AC is the coldest. I'm always the coldest. SOS to the rescue. Hey, this is Dakota Crawford, wide receiver from Louisiana, now playing in Lincoln. When your AC isn't the coldest, you call SOS heating and cooling. Their takes don't make commissions, so they give you an honest opinion, fair pricing, and longer warranties than a competition guaranteed. Take it from Dakotas. We'll keep you cool this summer. How great is that? So we talked about the name, image, and likeness. You can now, as a college athlete, any sport from swimming to football, that's football, wide receiver, Nebraska, Cornhuskers, you can make money off your name. So they go, you come to Nebraska, we're going to get an air conditioning company to support you. And sure enough, the guy's name is Dakotas. So to say it's Dakotas is so perfect for this. But it's almost a parody of what is happening. The uh, ad has almost 6 million views from what I saw. It's gotten so viral. This little, like, you know, AC company in Nebraska is really getting the money for it. I get the coldest. (laughs) The coldest. I mean, by the way, have you ever heard that name before? No, and that's the other thing. Like, when you're naming your kid and people like, you're naming him the coldest? Well, guess what? Now he's finally Uh cashing in on it. That mom mom should get a percentage. I hope so. Right. But by the way, you're going to see the craziest things with college football this year and all the NIL things that you see. Uh, I know this shit. There's, there's the Wild West of advertising. Go to BrianKillMe.com. I'm going to be live on stage talking about the coldest and everything else. Uh, Albany will be my stop September 8th, then November 12th and 13th, Brandon, Mississippi, as well as Tulsa, Oklahoma. Don't miss a date. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here coming to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Heard around the country, around the world. Geraldo Rivera is standing by, just getting dressed. He wanted me to buy him some time. Congressman Michael Waltz at the bottom of the hour. House Armed Services Committee, one year since we left Afghanistan, embarrassed ourselves in a way I didn't think was possible. Now we find out we left $7 billion worth of equipment behind. $7 billion. Incredible. And now we find out, too, from Jennifer Griffin, ISIS-K is as much as a threat as uh, as al-Qaeda ever was. Fantastic. And they're killing the Taliban at the same time. You know, they're eventually going to be pointing towards us. Uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's the roast type of politics is hateful politics to raise his national profile what the texas governor is doing is just so anti-american that is mayor eric adams border war at our southern border and between the new york and texas uh city and state as mayor adams sees fame opportunities by pushing against illegals being dropped in new york city by government abbott by governor abbott i see opportunity lost 
The bottom line is taxpayers lose, drugs pour in, national security is compromised, and cities rot. Number two. We have some new information on a violent, unprovoked attack in the Bronx. The suspect is back on the streets after being released without bail. There you go. Violent crime raging in every major Democratic-run city, and most of this has been caught on tape, yet still nothing is done. The result is death, destruction, and now desertion. We'll share this story and the stats. Number one. The problem is that the Department of Justice is rather notorious uh, for using redactions. They have a a rather odd incentive uh, that the more they redact, the more likely they can get more time. Jonathan Turley, of course, you have a week to redact exact names and then release the written reason you raided Mar-a-Lago. That's will be contained in the affidavit. That was the message from the judge who greenlighted the nine-hour invasion as a Trump-obsessed media focuses on all things Trump instead of what really affects this country. Uh, with me right now, Geraldo Rivera. Geraldo, welcome back. Hey, thank you, Brian. Great to be with you, as always. First uh, off, I... Your, uh, Friday, Brian? Yeah, so I never doubt that Donald Trump's news. I get it. The way Mike Tyson is with boxing and Tiger Woods is with golf. I get it. But if I actually want to talk about the next golfer that's going to win uh, the U.S. Open, I'm not talking Tiger Woods and I'm not talking Mike Tyson if I'm talking about best boxers in the world. They're talking about Donald Trump. I know he's in the news, but it's not the most important thing facing our country. There's other things are. And I see these other stations focusing on Trump because they've been sucking wind with with ratings. Do you agree with me? Uh, I I do uh, in uh, in many ways and and usually do, although sometimes you get angry at me. And you would make shake it off because I know that you have a good heart. Uh, Listen, Trump is uh, he's got a, a charisma. Uh, that is, uh, you know, people are obsessed with. I, he is also the head of the Republican Party. There's no doubt about it. Uh, the uh, the primary season certainly showed that. The Liz Cheney uh, ignominious defeat in uh, Wyoming was more evidence of it. So Trump is a gigantic story. He's not as, uh, as important as what is happening in the cities. And I think the Greg Abbott uh, stunt uh, bringing the uh, the migrants to New York City is uh, – is definitely newsworthy and should be talked about. Uh, in terms of the six billion dollar trashing uh, or the uh, the equipment left behind in Afghanistan, as I recall, all of the high tech choppers were uh, were destroyed by our special ops people that we left. Uh, you know, the last soldiers to leave. Uh, many of the uh, the MRAPs, the big uh, armored vehicles, were also similarly destroyed and dysfunctional. I, I think we left them six billion dollars worth of junk personally. So uh, let's go to crime in Manhattan. I, I'm sure you've seen what happened. Horrible. This is one guy's just Horrible. waiting for a train. You got to wear Is he going to get pushed on the tracks? No. From behind, you see this Bronx man with multiple arrests, a convicted sex offender on lifetime probation, put gloves on and sucker punch this other man from behind. He falls to the ground, slams his head, his brain's bleeding. Um, I think his cheeks collapse. They're keeping him in a coma at this hour. And this Bronx man gets downgraded from a misdemeanor, from uh, attempted murder to misdemeanor. Listen to how it sounded, how it was reported in New York. Cut nine. 
The victim was critically injured in what appears to be a completely unprovoked attack. The assault on Juan Cortez's brother happened Friday night near a busy corner next to the Fordham Road subway station. Police say it shows 55-year-old Bowie Van Fu putting on gloves and then walking up to 52-year-old Jesus Cortez. Without warning and from behind, the assailant suddenly throws a vicious roundhouse punch to the back of Cortez's head. We were... Really, really sad when we saw the video because it was really, really aggressive video. He was just standing, and then the guy just came and hit him from the back. What, what do you say to this, Geraldo? I mean, I'm, New York, we always are going to have crime. But to see this guy out, front page of the New York Post today, what's your reaction? It is absolutely, you know, I'm a street fighter. I'm, I'm an old man now, but I had plenty of uh, brawls in my day. One of the things we always had utter contempt for was a sucker puncher. A sucker puncher is a bully and a coward who gives his victim no chance to respond. What this punk did, coming up behind him and hitting him, he put on work gloves. It's not like you put on boxing gloves. Put on rough work gloves, gave him a roundhouse to the skull, knocked him uh, unconscious, plus his head whacked the concrete, fracturing his skull. And for the Bronx DA, uh, to re- I thought it was attempted murder, uh, for the, and that was what the cops wanted him to be charged with. That's what they arrested him for, uh, at least felonious assault in the first degree. But to give him a third-degree felonious assault or even a misdemeanor assault, let him out on no bail, let this, this, this punk, I, so disgusting what he did. Uh, and uh, Jesus Cortez is a good, hardworking migrant I uh, started a folkloric group in the Bronx, an entrepreneur, a small businessman, a good person taken out and almost murdered by someone who who did uh, a time for sex assault. He's a he's a registered sex offender in the third uh, uh, sex offender three, which is the most serious kind of sex offender. He's got a, a dozen mug shots. He's got robbery. Uh, he's got weapons possession in his uh, his. A, a criminal record, which is as long as my arm. And for the Bronx DA to let him out with no bail, it spits in the face of all New Yorkers. It was absolutely uh, unjustified on the law, on the facts. And to do it in this climate where people are just crying out uh, in the post-pandemic days for a city to be resurrected and to, and to restart uh, and to have this happen. Fordham Road, that's not like the uh, the ghetto. That's a very nice commercial street. Strivers, lower middle class people, uh, lots of students from the nearby university. Uh, and to have it happen there and, and people watching this and, and then the guy struts off only to be arrested later because the neighborhood pointed him out to the cops. And then to be released and back on the street as if to say, screw you, New York, screw uh, you know, people who are trying to be decent, hardworking folks. It really, Brian, this is, upsets me so much. I, I can't begin to tell you how this is exact. I, I, I think Mayor Adams is trying to do the right thing. I, you know, the beef he has with uh, Governor Abbott. If you want to talk about this, we can. Sure. But I, I he, the, the, the problem is felonious assault in the Bronx where I have many, many relatives, is up 25 27% over year to date. Uh, you know, you, the numbers don't lie. You've got to do something, and one of the things you have to do is not let your DAs 
take people in turnstile, let them out on the on the uh, this bail reform. It's not bail reform. This is a city killing itself. This is masochism. Uh, you know, we are a self-inflicted wound when we let violent criminals like this walk free. It is absolutely appalling to me. I can't get over it. Well, I'll tell you what. Uh, this bail reform was put forth by Michael Gennaris and Assemblyman David O'Donnell. It was done a couple of years ago. It was signed by the governor. It says it's not fair for people uh, to be, uh, be, be, be unable to get out of jail because they don't have money uh, when they do the same crime as rich people. And, and they have a certain amount of time to be able to get a case together. I've talked to police chiefs uh, in small areas of Long Island and big areas like New York City. You can't get a case together as quickly as the pace that they need. Judges don't have the discretion to clamp down like they should. And the result is the Wild West in New York City. Here's uh, Eric Adams says the right thing. But I don't see him doing much. Cut 14. I don't want people in any lawmaking body to say, let's protect innocent New Yorkers again. Let's try that again. The people who don't commit robberies, but the people who are the victims of robberies. We seem to have forgotten them. I have not forgotten them. And that is what I need partners to help me in doing that. What I just did, calling out the names of these lawmakers, pushing for this and pushing back against him. Uh, I, he's got to start naming them. He'd have no problem doing it if it was Republicans. Eric Adams missed a golden opportunity to go to the border at Governor Abbott's request, see how bad it is, call up President Biden because they, have, they get along great, and truly become a national figure. Instead, he says, well, my 400 people, well, that's anti-American to send them here to New York City. Not seeing the big picture that Texas is getting 7,000 a day. Your thoughts? I'm going to let me get to that in half a second. Give me uh, time to talk about one other aspect of bail reform. They reduced the criminal culpability age in New York from 16, whether they enhanced it from 16, you could be uh, charged for these crimes as an adult to 18. In other words, if you commit crimes from 16, 17, up until your 18th birthday, you go to family court. It used to be you went to criminal court because if you were, you know, I don't want to be confusing people, but if you're 16 in the old days, you went to you went to criminal court. Now you have to be 18 to go to criminal court. When you're 16, you go to family court. So you get released from juvenile. So what happens? The gangsters, the gangbangers, the gang uh, officials, you know, the operators of the gangs, they know this. So their shooters now are all 16, 17 years old because they know that they'll go to family court. This is, again, a self-inflicted wound. In terms of the border, uh, you know, I, I love New York, born New York, going to be very there. I, I, I always say that. Uh, but New York has not – and New York has a million undocumented immigrants, and I'll talk about them in a second. But what Governor Abbott did in sending these buses up to New York and to Washington and so forth, it is a publicity stunt. But it has focused attention to a problem that has been ignored for too long, and it needs attention. We need to uh, get Mexico to do its job. Uh, these people walk across the entire nation of Mexico. Mexico doesn't stop them. I mean, Mexico is aiding and abetting this problem. Absolutely. We've got to enormously enhance our security at the border. We need to finish Geraldo, if you were president walk. right now, what you do is say, I want those 20,000 Marines back in the southern border of Mexico and put the aid on in Jeff. Say, listen, I'm not going to be writing you checks if you're not going to control your own border. 
You said the president of the United States says, I'm going to get to the root cause of the problem. The vice president's in charge of that. We just had Congressman Gonzalez from Texas go down to the to meet with the Guatemalan president. He says he hasn't heard one thing from the president of the United States or his administration. I mean, they're allowing this to happen on our border and not stopping it from Central and South America. You can't have that combination of things and truly run a country. I agree. I agree. And and the trade, for instance, can be, uh, you know, we we rely heavily on Mexican factories along the border. Uh, We rely, uh, you know, there is enormous trade between Mexico and the United States. We have enormous leverage. It's not being a bully. It's asking our neighbors to the south to their fair share. I think you have to do it with respect, but you have to do it with sure. strength. The fact that Kamala Harris hasn't been there is ridiculous. It, it's unbelievable, uh, and it just hurts the argument. Everybody wants Sorry, immigration legally. That's the one thing about our country. Every, all these other nations are dying. No one's going to uh, – people are not going to Russia. They're not going to no, China. They're going not to going to Japan. I mean, Australia's got extreme limits on their immigration. The thing that's going to keep us growing is we're going to have a process of bringing in uh, uh, enthusiastic first-time immigrants. But we can't get to that point as long as people are breaching our security and going through the border. And I want you to hear, we are, uh, sadly, we don't have enough time, do we? About Okay, let's, let's listen to this. This is the story at the border when it comes to illegal drugs. What we see happening at DEA is essentially that there are two cartels in Mexico, the Sinaloa cartel and the Jalisco New Generation cartel that are killing Americans with fentanyl at catastrophic and record rates like we have never seen before. And those cartels are acting with calculated, deliberate treachery to get fentanyl to the United States and to get people to buy it through fake pills, by hiding in other drugs, any means that they can take in order to drive addiction and to make money. Final thought, 20 seconds. I want an Ellis Island at the border, the way we had an Ellis Island in New York, to welcome migrants in an orderly fashion. In terms of the cartels, I want to make uh, uh, treaties with Mexico where we have joint operations against these criminal organizations in a way that gets the full resources of the Mexican federal government and the U.S. federal government working in conjunction. These are transnational criminals that require a transnational approach to busting their asses, Brian. Geraldo Rivera, have a great weekend. You too, bud. You got it. Uh, Michael Walsh, the bottom of the hour, you're next. Brian Kilmeade Show. Both sides, all opinions. It's Brian Kilmeade. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. They do it a lot of different ways. They may go into the comments to people who are going to a concert and start to target them and say, hey, I'll be there. Do you want to meet up? They may post an emoji list But do they drugs. say, I'm going to sell you fentanyl? Is that no, what they say? never. So this is one of the things I think it's most important for people to understand. When they go in, they sell. They say, I'm going to sell you an OxyContin mm-hmm. pill. Yeah. I'm going to sell you an Adderall. I'm going to sell you a Percocet as if it were real. And this is the deliberate calculated treachery of the cartels. They're lying 
mean to you. So kids think they're buying exactly. But I also think it's important, though, the kids think they're buying one thing. Yes. Do the pills look similar? They have no way of knowing that they're getting fentanyl, right? Exactly. They think they're buying oxy. And I will tell you, if you put them side by side, you can't tell the difference. You can't tell the difference. The lifelong professionals at the DEA can't tell the difference. They look exactly as if they're the real pill. And now some of them are painted like Skittles. uh, So they really suck you in. You get one and you're done. Brian, you're listening in Illinois. Hey, Brian. Hi, Brian. Brian's rule. I think um, so, too. Go ahead. What's on your mind? The silence is deafening. Um, every other former president knows how wrong it was to go into Mar-a-Lago and not one of the sort of thing. Um, documents get mixed up. I know President Trump or you know Bush or even... Uh, Obama did not want to put RNC or DNC stuff and leave it at the White House. So, I mean, they just pack up everything and go. So, yeah, Brian, listen, I think as of what I know right now, I agree with you. We don't know what we don't know. And the fact that a judge knows everything and says, yeah, they should let us all read it. And the FBI is the one, and the Department of Justice is the one says, no, wait, the judge wants it out. Trump wants it out. You want it out. I want it out. The only people that don't want it out are the people doing the investigation. And a judge said, it's not going to hurt your investigation. Redact the names. Redact what you have to. I predict we're going to get a lot of redactions. It's going to be sent back. We're ultimately going to read something. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. We knew it would be significant, so our audience understands. The United States closed all of its bases in Afghanistan before the collapse. We did three things with our equipment. One, we sent it home. Two, we gave equipment to the Afghanistans if they needed it. And three, we destroyed what we didn't want. What this equipment really represents is all the U.S. equipment that was in the hands of the Afghanistans. And obviously that has been considerable because we provided them all their ground vehicles. We provided them significant number of military aircraft as well. So that was uh, General Jack Keane on the report that showed we left $7 billion, probably more, uh, assets, military assets behind hardware from MRAPs to Jeeps to planes to choppers. Who knows uh, the body armor, the night vision glasses, you name it. We left it. Congressman Michael Waltz joined us. Uh, probably you didn't know the title, but you knew the stuff. Congressman, what's your reaction to this? Yeah. Hey, Brian, I, I, I didn't catch all of that from uh, General Keene, but, uh, but uh, it sounds like you're referring to the special inspector general uh, for Afghanistan's report and the equipment left behind, uh, approximately $7 billion. And just to kind of clear some things up, because a number of people have talked about this $85 billion number, that was the total of assistance and equipment uh, uh, given to the Afghan security forces over the 20 years. This $7 billion is, according to the inspector general, so this isn't a partisan report, uh, you know, not coming from Republicans or anyone else, the DOD inspector general of what was left behind. And in fairness, we left it for the Afghan military to continue fighting 
Uh, and then obviously when when we yanked all of their support uh, out from them in the middle of the fighting season uh, and they collapsed, the Taliban took it all. My question, Brian, all along has been, as we saw these Afghan army units starting to surrender, as we saw that the intelligence in terms of how long the Afghan government would survive, and we saw this cascade of cities starting to fall, why didn't we start destroying the equipment? Many of it was sitting in warehouses. It was sitting oh, in ammunition depots. We still had air support overhead. We could, as we saw it falling to the Taliban, we could have taken action to destroy at least a lot of that equipment and or airlift it out so that it's not only going to the Taliban, Brian, it's going to al-Qaeda. It's going over to Iran. Uh, it's going to terrorist groups in Pakistan that are attacking India. This stuff is going to spread to terrorist organizations all over the world, and future American soldiers and special operators are going to have to deal with it. They're going to be shot at with our own bullets and taxpayer-funded uh, U.S. Army equipment. That's and that's the, from the Pentagon. Uh, am I right, Congressman? You yeah. can't just blame the State Department on that. The Pentagon's go, okay, you got to pull out. They don't want to pull out regardless. we got to blow this yeah. up. You don't need the president to sign off on that. No, I, I, mean, that's common, I mean, that's common sense, right? Yeah, I mean, you've got to destroy the stuff if you can't get it out and, and not let it fall into the hands of the Taliban. They're going to send it all over the world to terrorist groups all over the world. So let's move over to Ukraine, uh, if we can. So let's talk about what's happening. So far, the Russians aren't moving much, and there's a timeline. Do you, are you one of the people that believe there's a timeline on the amount of time the Ukraine has to show some real progress before aid yeah. starts leaving? Yeah, I do, and, and that was, you know, uh, that was loud and clear when, when we met with President Zelensky as well. The Russians are going to try to gobble up as much as they can before winter. Uh, and before they run out of steam, they're having difficulty with uh, with their logistics and their recruits uh, and then solidify those lines, annex it into uh, Russia. And meanwhile, and what Zelensky's worried about is I am, too. The Europeans are going to start backsliding even further this winter when uh, when, you know, they're that much more dependent on on Russian gas. And he's also worried it's kind of fallen off the headlines uh, in the United States. So, I mean, he, you know, Zelensky believes, I believe as well. That's why he's going, that he's on a timeline. That's why he's going on a counteroffensive. He cannot survive really as a country being, being cut off from the Black Sea uh, like they are right now. And I think what, what I want everybody out there to realize that if, if Putin is able to solidify these lines and lock them down uh, and annex all of those portions into Russia, all he's going to do is lick his wounds and be right back at it again a year, two years uh, from now, and just keep gobbling up Ukraine. And if he can do that successfully, whether it takes him a year or five years, he will move on to other portions of Europe that we are then treaty obligated to defend. So it's like help the Ukrainians fight now, uh, or we're all going to have to fight later. Uh, absolutely. And we, I'm not sure we realize that. There's a sense among some that Jake Sullivan's going to look to tell the Ukrainians it's over this is the way it is. I got to get this done by the election. Say this is a success and let the Russians keep what they got. Is that a legitimate fear? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, this administration wants them to go to the negotiating table. He's helping them. We're helping them just enough to play for a tie, uh, not to truly help Zelensky go on the offensive, take back his territory, deal Putin a strategic blow uh, and put this and, and, and end this. Uh, for the foreseeable future. And if they go to the negotiating table now, all Putin's going to do is buy time and re be right back at it uh, uh, sometime down the road. But for political reasons, you're right. 
the the administration wants to declare victory, uh, get them to the negotiating table, and all that's doing is uh, is helping them lose slowly. Uh, which is unbelievable. Uh, the other thing is, yeah. are they are they going to try this Iran deal to try to get this in under the wire and just say do this on a Friday? The Iran deal is agreed upon. Well, and and just what very quickly, Brian. One other thing on the uh, on on Ukraine. You know, it is astounding. Uh, I, I'm looking to get briefings on it, but these attacks into Crimea, I think, have really caught the Russians on their back feet. The attack on the Russian airfield that Love destroyed it. nine Russian aircraft. The ammunition depots that are blowing up, uh, the reporting I've seen is the Ukrainian special forces coupled with long-range missiles that we gave them. You're seeing Russian tourists flowing out of there that were vacationing. The, the Russian military commander was fired. Uh, this has really sent them reeling, and uh, you got to give credit to the Ukrainians for keeping up the fight. On Iran, yeah, they're trying to slip this in, and you know the biggest piece of it is it would release 50 billion uh, – excuse me, 50 million barrels – that uh, the Iranians have been sitting on and haven't been able to find a marketplace for. This is all about Biden trying to use everybody else's oil uh, to drive down prices except American oil, uh, number one. And then number two, I, I can't believe, I mean, after the attacks on Salman Rushdie, after the, the, the stopped assassination attempt on John Bolton, the ongoing threats to Trump, Pompeo, O'Brien, uh, attacking Americans, almost kidnapped a journalist, uh, uh, an Iranian-American journalist, and yet we're going to give them billions of dollars. Uh, we're going to tell the South Koreans to un- unleash billions right into this terrorist uh, rogue regime economy as they march towards a nuke. Uh, and, and why does that matter to every American if they get a nuke? Israel is absolutely under, uh, under threat, and um, the entire Middle East is going to explode into a nuclear arms race. Yes. Uh, by the way, Israel's not going to wait, right? Yeah. Yeah, they're not going to wait. And, and when Biden went over there uh, just a few months ago, the Israeli prime minister made that clear. Uh, and, and who can blame them? And so the question is, are we going to support them if they take military action? Because that decision, I believe, is really coming to a head. The Biden administration knows it's coming to a head, and they're sitting over there in Vienna you know, drinking tea and eating crumpets, and the Iranian regime knows they can extract billions and billions and billions of dollars from this administration. So uh, the the big talk now is the red wave is really hitting, uh, been halted, that Democrats are getting momentum with the signing of uh, this bill, this inflation reduction bill that does anything but, that is really a climate bill. If you do that along with the CHIPS bill and bipartisan, bipartisan legislation that was passed, that the president's on a roll as parties on a roll, and that abortion has now emerged as a, as a top issue for voters. Where do you stand as a Republican in, in Florida? You know, Brian, I think that is, a bunch of, that is a bunch of wishful thinking from the mainstream media that is doing everything they can to bend and twist themselves to fit that narrative. I can tell you traveling all over Florida— uh, it is the economy, it is businesses that are struggling to hire, and it's inflation, inflation, inflation. And you've reported on how many organizations, uh, bipartisan, nonpartisan, uh, tax analysts and others, uh, econo- economists down the, down the line that have said this bill will do nothing to affect inflation. So even though we're seeing gas prices tick down a little bit, they're still extraordinary high, extraordinarily high. 
transportation undergirds our entire economy. Everything's got to be moved, which means it's going to stay expensive. And I think as long as inflation is the problem that it is, and it's going to remain a problem as long as Biden sits on this asinine energy policy, uh, this war on American oil and gas, then they're going to – they're going to feel it in the polls in a in a big way. Is Marco Rubio in trouble in Florida? Not at all. Not at all. Again, I think this is spin. Uh, look, Val Demings is a tough candidate. I think if this were, you know, a Democratic wave year, uh, she, um, you know, she may be getting close. But Florida is a red state now. Uh, we have more uh, registered Republicans than Democrats for the first time in our history. It's been an eight hundred thousand voter swing. Uh, since 2012, you know, 10 years ago. And so I, I think Marco Rubio is going to be just fine. All right, Congressman Michael Walt, thanks so much. Okay, thanks, Brian. You got it. Um, so uh, thanks so much. Please, when we come back, we'll take your phone calls, one 408 And also you can write me, briankillmead.com. This way, if you're at work, you're at school, but you have a lot to say and you're listening, you can do it. Miss a show? Have to tune out early? No problem. Download the podcast at BrianKilmeadShow.com. Every episode, exclusive interviews on demand. You're with Brian Kilmeade. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back. We've got a few minutes here. one 866 I'm going to take some phone calls. Also, uh, take some of your emails. Uh, and I'm getting a lot of them coming in, uh, trying to read them on the fly. Um, we're talking about Mayor Adams and Governor Abbott. We've been discussing that this hour. Uh, they say if you're going to criticize Mayor Adams about the handling of the recent Im- migrant influx, which I am, then please uh, please omit Catholic charities as they're Cardinal Dolan's province. Uh, actually, this doesn't nothing to do with Catholic charities. I asked Cardinal Dolan about it. He had no idea what they're doing. They're a separate entity. Matt, North Carolina. Hey, Matt. Hello, Brian. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? Uh, the southern border. I it's, think that uh, it's broken in a way I've him. never seen it be never thought possible. But go ahead. Okay, um, the southern border needs to be closed, and and Governor Abbott of Texas, I believe, is doing the right thing, and that will show the people that don't want to do anything like Biden that that that's what I mean. Come on now, you know, ridiculous. Right. Uh, I hear you, Matt. He doesn't want to do anything. They're ignoring it. And I can't believe it. But if you look at every survey, when they say, what what matters most to you? Do you know immigration is not higher than sixth illegal immigration, the border issue? It's nuts to me because I think it's the the foundation behind the switch among the Hispanic community when it comes to votes because they see what's happening. They came here legally for the most part, almost all of them. They work hard and they're seeing what's happening to their to their towns and and to their cities. And to their streets, and they don't like it. So, uh, thanks so much. Thanks so much for the call, Debbie. Listen, WABC in Brooklyn. Hey, Debbie. Brian, hi. Um, you know, I was just explaining that I think that this abortion issue is a big deal. We um, we were good. I think we were golden with the inflation and all the the border and everything. We were on a roll, and then all of a sudden, Roe Ro v. Wade. 
And suburban women who turned against Trump were getting ready to get back on board because they had they had they get, wanted their money. And now when it comes to votes, because they see what's happening. Uh, you lose lower your radio. Lower your radio. Don't want to throw you. Um, and I'll tell you, the Fox did a poll, and you're 100% right, Debbie, on WABC. And this is what their poll said. ARP did a poll, first off. They said number one is abortion. 19% of the people say it's the number one issue. 18% say inflation. 13% say jobs. Now, Mark Thiessen said, I don't buy it. Who are they talking to? You should ask them first. Are they pro-life or they're pro-choice? And they're going to stand that way on when it comes to abortion. But it's still below 50%. I've never seen at over 50% who people think that abortion should be banned. Uh, in Michigan specifically, number one issue. Uh, in Arizona specifically, tied for the number one issue, excuse me, it's the number two issue with 16%. Number one is border security number at 20%, and inflation is also 20%. So most people are exactly right. They're, you're saying the Democrats did get did get a bit of a jolt with this overturning of Roe v. Wade, but it's something conservatives are extremely proud of. In terms of what's happening in key Senate races, I was stunned to see that Mark Kelly is the most popular lawmaker in Arizona. Donald Trump is second with 47%. Mark Kelly's got 51% support. I know he's, I love the fact that he served in the military. I love the fact that he's an astronaut. I cannot believe he's not the one standing up like Joe Manchin to some of these lunatic, lunatic off-kilter policies, this new Green Deal stuff. Until recently, he was totally ignoring the border. In fact, he seems to be a flat-out do-nothing senator, but people don't seem to mind that. In Arizona, in uh, Arizona right now, the question was, choice for senator if voting right now. Mark Kelly would get 95% of the vote with Democrats. 10% with Republicans. Here's the key. Blake Masters, kind of new to the scene so far, gets the nomination. Donald Trump's blessing, 82% of Republican support, 2% of Democratic support. So some people are just laying out and saying, you know, John McCain had a hard time winning that state. It was He did not have any re- easy reelections after his initial reelection, even when he was running for president. So it's always somewhat of a purple state. I understand that. In terms of Mark Kelly, he is winning that race a little bit by a little bit, about nine points. But Master just got started. He could definitely make some progress. They asked in Arizona, Joe Biden against Donald Trump, 47-44, Donald Trump viewed more favorably. Where was that vote four year, or three years ago? Certainly not was the case. Same thing in Michigan. They asked about Trump's influence over in Michigan. And in the Michigan poll, when it comes to Trump, they have uh, Trump trailing by a couple of points. But with all this negativity, all these court cases, all the January 6th hearing, it's amazing to see Trump's numbers haven't budged. They would have been over 50 percent if there was no January 6th. If he decided that, you know, the vote's the vote, can't believe I lost, but I lost, that's the difference. Ron, listen on WNDB. Hey, Ron. Hey, Brian. What's on your mind? I have a question. Well, I wanted to talk about the border, but I have a quick question. Yes or no? Do you believe the election was stolen? No, I don't. I, I don't believe it was stolen. I believe there was some rules passed through the pandemic centric that Republicans should have pushed back against uh, that allowed people to vote and verification could have been issued. But I don't think the election was stolen. I think Joe Biden won the election. And I just do. And the thing is, there's a lot of people who think that George Bush stole from Al Gore. I don't. Uh, I think that there were some legitimate concerns in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, in Wisconsin, in Arizona. 
But when they do the recounts over and over again, Republican legislatures in charge and governors are in power, and they still don't see a change in the vote. I'm not going to go blame a voting machine. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, here at 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Heard around the country, around the world, especially in the Ukraine and possibly Taiwan, uh, constantly in battle, uh, domestically and abroad. Uh, we are, but somehow Donald Trump wins all uh, conversation. Bobby Brock at the bottom of the hour, amongst the topics he will bring up, uh, that is uh, the end of Brian Stelter at, uh, at CNN. Bit of a surprise. So let's get to the big three before we get to Jonathan Turley. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It's the worst type of politics. It's hateful politics to raise his national profile. What the Texas governor is doing is just so anti-American. Really? Border war at a southern border between New York and Texas. Mayor Adams sees fame opportunities by pushing against illegals being dropped in New York City by Governor Abbott. I see opportunity lost. Bottom line is taxpayers lose, drugs pour in, national security is compromised, and cities rot. Number two. We have some new information on a violent, unprovoked attack in the Bronx. The suspect is back on the streets after being released without bail. Violent crime raging in every major city run by Democrats, and most of this has been caught on tape, yet still nothing is done. The result, death, destruction, and now desertion. We will share the story of and the stats. Number one. The problem is that the Department of Justice is rather notorious uh, for using redactions. They have a a rather odd incentive uh, that the more they redact, the more likely they can get more time. That's the great Jonathan Turley. We should interview him. You have a week to redact exact names and then release the written reason you raided Mar-a-Lago. That was the message from the judge who green-lighted the nine-hour FBI invasion at the, as the Trump-obsessed media focuses on all things Trump instead of what really affects the country. He could be the biggest Trump fan in the world. He's not the number one story. Uh, he shouldn't be, anyway. Uh, the raid on, is unprecedented, and there is an investigation in New York, and there's another one in Georgia. But I still think things that affect the American people have nothing to do with President Trump's legal challenges. With me right now is Jonathan Turley. Jonathan, welcome back. Thank you very much. This has meant a lot to you. When Trump comes back on the news, you can't get a second off. Well, it's, I, I view it as a public service to keep those political analysts from going on the air. <laughs> That's true. You like to do this thing called facts and analysis, what it means by the law, not how you feel emotionally about Donald Trump in particular. Uh, first <laughs> off, what is your takeaway from the judge yesterday? Well, I think he made the right decision before the hearing. I, I noted that I have no doubt in my mind that the affidavit can be released in redacted form. And the reason is not because I've seen the affidavit. Affidavit. I've seen lots of affidavits, and they tend to have sections that can be disclosed without undermining investigation. Those sections deal with information already known by the target, uh, things that, that they were told, steps that they took. That type of information should be able to be disclosed. Uh, the, the one question I raised was that the media council said that the judge 
was going to uh, allow them to submit a redacted version and that if there was any disagreements, the court would allow them to go to the Court of Appeals. And one of the things I note is I hope the judge doesn't craft the order that way because he should release any areas upon which there's agreement. Otherwise, the DOJ has every reason just to over-redact and push this into an appellate process and get more time. Uh, that could be – so it comes back in a week. It's over-redacted. They go back again. They say unredact a lot of this, and they go back and forth, and this can, continues to drag on. But what does it tell you in particular, Jonathan, uh, that the, the judge that said, yeah, there's a reason to go into Mar-a-Lago, take that warrant, and best of luck. Hope everyone gets safe. And then he comes back and says there's no reason for you to tell everybody what you were doing there. Yeah, I still think that uh, this judge should not have been handling the warrant. I, I'm not talking about his political contributions. I am concerned that he made these really strident comments on social media and that he had reportedly recused himself from an earlier matter involving Trump and Hillary Clinton. Um, but this is such an important uh, decision. I'm surprised he felt he was the appropriate person to make the decision. The other thing that concerns me is that the warrant was ridiculous on its face. They could have just written a warrant that said take everything and just saved a lot of paper. Because, you know, they say that if you find even one piece of paper with any classification of any kind, you can take that box and then take all the boxes with that box. And then take anything that was written during the Trump presidency. That's pretty much everything. And I'm really concerned that the judge looked at that and said, well, that looks good to me. You know, go ahead. And they did. And they took everything. So, again, as an outsider who never raided a, uh, a compound of a rich person, I am, I'm somewhat naive. So I hear that they got a specific whistleblower, and the whistleblower is going to say there's documents, and it's such an emergency, we got to get in there right away, and we got to not have talks and negotiations. I can't enforce the subpoena. i got to get in there. But then the Wall Street Journal reports that Merrick Garland thought about it for weeks before he did anything, and they waited a weekend with the warrant before they, they decided to strike. Having said all that and the contradictions that are apparent, what does it tell you that they were there for nine hours? If you know specifically where to go and you knew exactly what you were looking for, how do you walk out with the president's expired passports? Why are you in Melania's closet and why did it take nine hours? Well, there's a lot of questions like that that we need to answer, particularly about the timeline. And as you note, uh, they keep on saying time is of the essence, and yet they took their time about it. They waited weeks, and then they waited even after the warrant was signed for days. And then they, they, they proceeded to leak information, that they were after nuclear weapons information. Well, none of that is consistent. And that's part of my problem with Merrick Garland's approach. There are legitimate concerns about this raid, and there's legitimate concerns about the FBI's record in Trump-related investigations. You can't ignore that. And yet Garland has done nothing, literally nothing, to recognize those concerns and do something about it. But there's things he could have done. For example, he could have said, you know what, we don't normally release an affidavit, but I'm going to tell my people, let's see what we can release. He could have have agreed with the demand of the Trump family that he have a special master that looked through this material to, make, to, to say this wasn't a pretext for something else. We have a special master who went through and took out stuff that isn't related to our concerns. He refused to do that. So it's at every single juncture, when he could have done modest steps, he has them. True. Let's fast forward to another investigation. 
from your experience, and I know you haven't been following the CFO story, the 75-year-old CFO of the Trump Organization, that close and you can't, uh, but from what you know, the fact that over the course of a 40-year career with Trump, that he has $1.7 million worth of expenses put on the company that were really personal expenses, does that warrant Rikers Island for five months? No. And the fact is, uh, this is a ubiquitous problem in New York, that everyone has always had their stories about expense accounts with corporations. He was wrong to use these funds. There's no question about that. But if you pulled back the rug on most corporations, you would find people misusing cars, misusing apartments, uh, taking funds for personal reasons. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't mean that you can't charge it, but there does seem to be a selective prosecution here, and they were trying to pressure him to flip on President Trump. It doesn't appear to have worked so far. I mean, this agreement just simply says that he's expected to testify against the corporation truthfully. Um, It's clear that they tried to get him to offer up something on President Trump, and it seems clear that that did not happen. Look at Georgia then, and do you think the the six hours that Rudy Giuliani had behind closed doors, the Jenna Ellis might have the same scrutiny, Lindsey Graham, they want to talk to him. Uh, Where is this heading? What does Georgia want out of this? I think Georgia is the one to watch right now. That and the tax and bank fraud investigation uh, out of New York with the feds. Um, the, The reason is that this comes under state law, and They're arguing that all of this pressure from Trump and others was an effort to coerce or commit fraud. My view of this as a criminal defense attorney is that it seems to me that they have a very strong defense. You know, it's like everything else in the Trump world. It depends how you look at something, (laughs) right? And people like to assume intent. But Trump is likely to argue that, yeah. I said, if, you, if we find just 15,000 votes, if you find that, it changes the outcome. Now, his position is going to be that this was basically a settlement discussion. They were in litigation, and, he was, and that he was saying, I only need 15,000 votes for this election to be overturned. That's not a lot if you do an audit. So that's going to be his defense. Now, a lot of people may say, well, that's not very credible. I think he was telling them to find that 15,000 votes. But that's not what you can do in a criminal case. You can't say, well, it's close enough for jazz. Uh, we can have different interpretations, but go ahead and convict him. That defense is plausible. No, I hear you because a lot of people say, yeah, listen, I only need such and such votes. I know uh, this, uh, this coming up and saying, uh, finding, penetrating into the, uh, I don't know what it was, some of these voting machines and seeing the numbers I've heard that story in that came out of Georgia. I don't know how much credibility there is there. Yeah, and look, I think that that, con- that phone conversation was really dumb. It was it was a mistake. Uh, it's worthy of criticism, but um, criminal cases are not based on this type of coin flip on meaning. They need something much stronger. They need to show that they that he was actively trying to coerce someone to do something that was untrue, unlawful. Uh, his argument is that I did believe that a recount could find that many votes. And I expect that's what Giuliani said in the grand jury. I expect he said, look, you may consider me a fool, but I believe that there's serious problems in the Georgia voting system, the changes that they made. And we all believe that you could find that number of votes. 
Lastly, you mentioned the tax, uh, the tax investigation in New York. For the most part, the Southern District's been looking at his taxes, and they walked away. Alvin Bragg says, I don't see anything there. And Vance also said, I don't see anything there, Cyrus Vance. So are we talking about the same case? Yeah, there's the state case, but also the Southern District of New York, the feds, um, have periodically been looking at aspects of that. We really don't know what happened to that federal work that was being done. But once again, the problem with the tax and fraud claims is that they are also very common, particularly in New York and the real estate business. It is a common practice for corporations to try to devalue property for the purposes of taxes and and overvalue property for the purposes of bank loans. You know, the funny thing about Trump, by the way, is when I before I was working for Fox, I was working for a different network and um, they sent me the uh, Trump's filings uh, that he made with a bank for a bank loan. And they said, you know, isn't this bank fraud? And I looked at it, and the hilarious thing was because it, the number at that he represented he was worth, my, my initial feeling was, wow, this is fraud because he's not worth that. But then when you crunch down on the, the actual filings, there's one piece of paper where he gives his value. And in the middle of the list, he gave his name value, his marketability, worth billions of dollars. Now, it was typical Trump, right? He basically said, my name alone is worth, you know, a zillion dollars. Now, you sort of chuckle, but it's not fraud because he put it on paper. He said, I'm counting this as part of my worth. And that's part of the problem that they're going to have in the prosecution is that, you know, he didn't, he didn't make up numbers. He just put a number in there that many people sort of would chuckle at and say, wow, that's a lot of capital you're saying is attributed to your name. It's interesting. And I say this, with all the taxes that have been out there, now that they've had it, the House wants it, good luck with it. Good luck making heads or tails of this. When you're buying buildings and renting them out and buying golf courses and uh, maybe taking loans out on those courses, you're in all these different countries, you have these hotels on top of that, good luck keep, keep catching up and trying to find something wrong. And, and that's really what we're finding. And I, it kind of bo- it would bother me just as much if Joe Biden was being investigated by the city of Delaware while President Trump's in office and they, uh, about stuff that he did. Wait a second. Why are you going after him? Because he got elected? That, uh, that no, fundamentally same, seems wrong. Yeah, it's the same pattern. I mean, look, last night on MSNBC, you had Lawrence, Lawrence Tribe once again saying it's a slam dunk conviction. And I wrote today on my blog Shouldn't we wait for the evidence? I mean, just to, to just for the pur- purposes of appearances only. I mean, sh- should we before we say that he's convicted on something he hasn't been charged with? It would help to actually have some evidence, like the affidavit. I know. I mean, you guys, uh, lawyers, are the last ones to jump on that. You always couch things because we don't know. And why would you want to go out on the limb? You know, it's not like you're picking the Giants over the Jets. Why? What is the point of coming out on a limb months before anything develops? There's, there's no upside to it. How do you get a percentage for every ratings point you go up every quarter hour when you say something outlandish? It doesn't make any sense. But I'm, I'm glad that other – go ahead. Yeah, and this is actually, the, I, by my count, is the 12th crime that Tribe has said is a slam dunk uh, against try against Trump, and strangely, none of them have been charged. And it's not that he doesn't face risk here; 
But we have to have some modicum of objectivity. Uh, we should look at the affidavits, see what they have, but we should also be cognizant of the context in which we are working and the history of the FBI in targeting this individual. Thank you. Jonathan Turley, thanks so much. Thanks. All right. Glad he gave up a contract with that other network. one 408 Bobby Barack at the bottom of the hour. We go inside the changes in the media. Something else of a big interest, probably to you. For the first time ever, more Americans streamed than watch cable. Things are changing rapidly. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. I love the, it was an infrastructure problem. Our public health infrastructure in the country was not up to the task. No, you weren't. And the we, no, it's you. I screwed up. I set children back their entire lives in terms of learning because they were kept out of school unnecessarily for a year and a half, even longer than that. They never ran the risk of contracting grave illness or even spreading it to adults, but they closed down schools because Randy Weingarten at the American Federation of Teachers told him to. How about just call in, say, the parents of children who kill themselves or tried to commit suicide because they were locked away from their friends? Um, How about apologizing to all the people who were fired across the country, teachers and firefighters and healthcare workers, because they didn't get the vaccine, which, again, only protects you from severe illness, doesn't protect anybody else. These people need to be fired. They need to burn the entire CDC down and start all over, not literally. Right. Uh, and the CDC saying, well, we got to do structural problems with two academic and we got to be more of a first response unit. But most of the stuff they said was wrong. Uh, they never admitted any fallibility. They contradicted themselves. And what I thought was the most condemning of their behavior when it was found out that the teachers unions were, were affecting the decisions they made. And then you come out as a medical professional and you change what you do, what you recommended. The distance between them has kept kids out of school to begin with. Because six feet apart means you can't get kids into the classroom. And then of the quarantining, if the, the contact tracing kept kids out of the classroom again. All wrong. And they should have been ready. A lot of the stuff we did, we, we got from 1918, the first time we got the pandemic. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Jeff Zucker's departure was shocking to the staff of CNN. But CNN was not built by just one man, not by only Ted Turner. And it was not led only by Jeff Zucker. We lost our leader this week. But we're not going anywhere. But he is uh, anywhere but CNN. He is out. Uh, Brian Stelter. Uh, the arrogant, pompous, uh, reliable sources host is now reliably out. When you call out your boss, uh, which you will do in a later clip, you knew it was being at the end. Uh, more about being true to your school, but uh, but ripping people you don't even know because something you don't you you didn't that you believe to be true, never a good start. Bobby Brock joins us now, uh, a writer for Outkick uh, to com- com- commentate on all things media related. Bobby, first off. Your reaction to Brian Stelter being out? Yeah, Brian, first of all, thanks for having me. CNN has been putting out these leaks, sometimes even going on record saying how they were going to tone down 
the liberal partisanship and reshape the narrative of the um, company back to a state of esteem and a respectable journalism. So they've been warning people for a while that they were going to get rid of these far-left voices, and it wasn't happening. But last Friday was the first domino. Jeffrey Zubin, the Zoom call guy, he's out. We find out yesterday they fire Brian Stelter and cancel his media show. So I wasn't surprised that it happened. But what I found interesting is I was surprised this was the order in which they went because as much attention as Stelter gets online, he's really a minor character in the bigger picture. Brian, I thought maybe they were going to make a splash early on and get rid of Acosta before Stelter because, to me, that's the guy hurting their reputation more than anybody else. Right. But when you call out the guy that's paying you and blame John Malone and say he's the problem, I think that's a little bit uh, nuts. This guy, Oliver Darcy, will take over now. What, what do we know about him? Yeah, this guy is even worse than Stelter in every way imaginable. So this guy used to play a conservative online. His main shtick was, like, own the libs and CNN's left wing. Then he got hired by CNN, and he became uh, Stelter's backup, and he calls for big tech censorship. I mean, get this. He told Twitter in a column to put the misinformation label in the Twitter handle of conservatives, not their tweet, but in their handle. So every tweet they put out, he wanted Twitter to make sure they were labeled misinformation. So it's not that CNN's beat got any better by getting rid of Stelter. I mean, they seem to still be going that route. The only big change is, I guess, the perception, because Stelter was a big name, and this Darcy guy is relatively unknown. But you made an interesting point. Stelter calling out John Malone, who is the who was the lead shareholder in Discovery, who's really the one calling the shots at CNN in Discovery right now. You have to think that his early exit is directly tied for him calling out his new big big boss before that guy even took over officially. Right. I'm just uh, curious what the mission is there because if they just make everything bland, it's headline news, and nobody watches headline news, even though it's on every cable system in the country. So we'll see how they want to uh, do this. Right now, they've record low ratings, but they're leaning on Donald Trump coverage. Bobby, what's your take on Donald Trump all the time on all these channels? Yeah, you're so right. And um, I covered this before. Going bland and quote unquote straight news isn't the best move for ratings. We see it with like News Nation, a new cable news network that brands himself as just straight news. Nobody's watching. And going Donald Trump obsessed again seems to be contradictory to what Chris Lick, the new CNN chief, says he didn't want to do, which is to lean so heavily into this. But you're absolutely right. You turn on CNN right now, no matter what time of day it is, they're discussing Donald Trump in the same negative way, condescending way as they did under Jeff Zucker. Um, We know that Trump is a golden goose for ratings. There's no doubt about it. But at the same time, if your complete mission is to shed that label of being anti-Trump and a little brother to MSNBC, the way they're covering Trump isn't, isn't fixing anything. Bringing Maggie Haberman on and Jim Acosta to um, suggest that Trump's selling nuclear codes and all that, I mean, this isn't helping CNN's reputation by any means. So CBS, you write this story, and Nora O'Donnell came out and said, I got two sources, excuse me, one source that says, Donald Trump made it up. Nobody took his passports. Well, later in the day, he got his passports returned. The FBI admitted they took them by mistake. What does that tell you? 
Right. So C- CBS News has a strict protocol that if you're going to report a story that's not confirmed or not on the record, you have to have at least two sources. You have to disclose them to the editors. Nora O'Donnell, the lead anchor at CBS, didn't do that. She had one source and put out fake news information saying FBI didn't have the passport, which they later admitted they did. So she lied, and her tweet's still up, and three days later – She's refused to address breaking the policy and reporting inaccurate news. So these people obviously are not concerned with the truth. They're pretty indifferent to the fact because the lead anchor at CBS doesn't care that she lied to all her viewers. Uh, We'll see what happens now. You say in some cases social media is acting more of a government agency than private industry. In what respect? Yes, I wrote a call on this Monday really to piggyback off Alex Barrett's in the situation. Um, Twitter had permanently suspended him over a year ago. They, they reinstated him shortly after, or a, few, about a year after following a lawsuit. But he has leaked emails from Twitter staffers high up talking to the Biden administration, showing the Biden administration urging Twitter to remove Alex Barrett and even having private meetings. That's not a social media company acting as a private industry. I mean, you go back to last summer about this time, then White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said, we, the White House, are flagging COVID misinformation pieces for Facebook to take down. A month later, Facebook announces it had taken down 20 million posts about COVID, quote-unquote, misinformation, and then we found out a month later, a lot of those included people asking questions about the vaccine being as effective as government officials said, which they said, you get the vaccine, COVID is gone. We now know that's not true. So people were kicked off Facebook on behalf of the White House for asking questions. I mean, this is a, this is a workaround to suppress free speech. So the White House and the government cannot censor people under the First Amendment, but they found a workaround by urging tech companies, Facebook and Twitter, to do their bidding for them. I find that to be a pretty dangerous precedent, Brian. I do, too. That's one other thing that Donald Trump is benefiting from. As of now, for what we know about the raid, uh, he seems to be winning the media war, and Truth Social is beginning to soar. People have to go to Truth Social to find out what Trump thinks now. I think it's sending it's a huge boost to his own social media platform. Oh, of course. And the biggest development there is Places like CNN and MSNBC, they're now putting Trump's true social posts on their airway. I know. Ridiculous. But what they're doing is promoting because people are seeing the logo and they're going to sign up. So the best promotion true social can get is these networks obsessively criticizing what Trump says on true social. Yeah, Bobby Brock, pick up OutKick. Uh, thanks so much, Bobby. Appreciate it. You can follow him at uh, Barack Bobby, B-U-R-A-C-K Bobby on Twitter. Thanks, Bobby. Brian, talk soon. And he's always on OutKick, too. John, listen on WABC. Hey, John. Good morning, Brian. I just wanted to comment on what your guest had just said and tie it all together. Um, what that raid was was just another way to try to control the narrative between now and the election. All the other stuff they've done has failed. And that's standing operating procedure for the Democratic Party. They control the short-term narrative with lies. And when the truth comes out, they just move on to another narrative. Started with Russian collusion, went to the Ukraine phone call, then it went to January 6th, impeachment, his taxes, 
January 6th hearings. Now they're raiding the thing. None of them come true, but they all enable the Democrats to control the narrative in the short term. And, but they also get they get a few of his uh, supporters, whether they're workers, supporters or advisors in trouble. Roger Stone, Michael Flynn. Now this Feinberg, the CFO of uh, Paul Manafort. Jesus, just off the top of my head, the pe- Michael Cohen, the people that because they're associated with him, they get targeted because they want to get him and they don't. Listen to what Bill Maher said. He goes against what you said, John, and thanks for the call. His fortune was finally falling. The mm-hmm. big lie was yeah. finally losing momentum. Mm-hmm. DeSantis was beating him in the polls. Mm-hmm. You know who hates this more than anybody? DeSantis. DeSantis, yeah. DeSantis I had this in the bag, and now i got to run against President Martyr. And this is saving Trump politically. Yeah, and that could be true. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily saving. It's a boost. But it's not because Trump deserves credit or discredit. It's because the government feels that they got to go after him everywhere they go. And Merrick Garland somehow, from what we know now, there could be, there's a lot we don't know. From what we know now, he overreached. When we come back, we'll find out if there's indeed more to know. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. Because apparently he's cheaper than infomercials for nonstick pans. That is not true. Chill out, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Finland's leader is getting in trouble for trying to pump up the jam. The Prime Minister of Finland, Sanna Marin, has faced backlash after a leaked video showed her partying. She's faced criticism from opposition parties, with one leader demanding she take a drugs test. Ms. Marin denied taking drugs and said she only drank alcohol. Okay, okay. I know that clip is extremely confusing for Americans, so let me try and explain. Some countries have leaders who don't have osteoporosis. Yeah. So I guess there was a dancing, who was that, Allison? The, the, the leader, she's, she's a, a young woman, right? She is, and there was a video that was leaked of her, you know, just, you know, a video of them having fun and sort of like dancing to something. And they tried to make it out, the hard partying, what, prime minister... He goes on to say it's just like old white men are just offended by what, like, young women do in their free time. <laughs> right. I'm not one of them. Uh, so it makes you wonder if there's more to know. More to know. So I saw this and retweeted this. Jay Glazer put it out. Mike Tomlin, the longtime coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers, saw these bunch of kids fighting. And he said, guys, you come with me. He brought these kids into practice and started running them through some drills. He, according to Fox Sports' uh, Jay Glazer, the 50-year-old coach, pulled over and got out of the car to try to break up the fight. And when the kids realized who he was, they stopped throwing punches. Glazer said Tomlin took several hours out of his day to hang out with the kids who attended a local community center, invited them to Steelers practice at St. Vincent College. The kids got firsthand football knowledge, not only from Tomlin, but from Najee Harris. And you see on the, on the video, on Twitter, and anywhere you want to get it, you see him running them through drills. The kids are athletic. They're about 12 or 13 years old. There's nothing for them to do. they got to get involved in some sports. I'm very curious to see if this gets followed up on. I mean, those kids, are can they not afford sports? Are there not, no options in their area? I mean, the, the kids have been bored to tears for a year and a half. You know, too bad you don't have a TV show that you can make sure you follow up on the story with. I know, or a radio show. <laughs> or a radio show. Next, students 
I can't believe this, will not dorm outside the aisle. Get this, college students who say they would room with someone who supported with the, supposed the, support the opposing party in 2020 presidential election is now down to, overall, 54% would. Democrats, 38% would. 71% of Republicans would. Am I reading that right? They uh, definitely are probably would room. Um, yeah, so, probably. Yeah. Okay, definitely or probably would room. They, they surveyed 1,000 kids. Overall, 54% probably would room with somebody who voted for Joe Biden or Donald Trump if they didn't. A Democrat, 38% would. That shows an intolerance. Republicans, much more tolerant. 71% would room with somebody of the other party. I agree. And I, I think it's important. Like, okay, it's actually, you guys are going to have more in common than you don't, than your political beliefs as like a freshman in college, right? You both chose the same school. What are your majors? What do you like to do in your spare time? So to be completely against someone based on who they voted for is a little short-sighted. Right. Uh, 46% said they would probably or definitely not room with someone who supported the opposing party. 53% said they would probably or definitely not go on a date with someone who supported the other party. And 63% said they would probably definitely not marry someone who supported the other party. How many guys would be like, that girl's really hot, but she voted for A Democrat. I'll put it this way. There was a time in which politics almost never came up. I'm not interested. Like sports, it's all you're all in or all not. Uh, hey, uh, you know what's going on with uh, the Giants this year? I don't know. I don't follow sports. Used to be now everybody somehow has to make a stand. Everyone has to have a label. Next, a 20 year old USC student is investing money raised from family and friends. Uh, made about 110 million dollars by selling a stake in a meme stock favorite, Bed Bath and Beyond, at exactly the right time. Jake Freeman, an applied mathematics and economics major, acquired 5 million shares in July when the company CEO was ousted. Following a dismal earnings report, Freeman bought the shares at $5.50 and sold them for $27 last week, just before billionaire Ryan Cohen cashed out his entire stake, sending the market plummeting. So that's good news. So what's your freshman doing at college? <laughs> Not that, I'll tell you that. But they also, if you do the math... He was able to get $25 million from friends and family to invest. Like, who are his friends and family? That's a good point. <laughs> right. Listen, he's, he's my nephew. I have to give him at least a million dollars. He's 20. Yeah. Next. Good news. Legendary college hoop announcer Dick Vitale, who just got this, uh, Dick, just got the, uh, Mike, uh, the Valvano, uh, Valvano Award for overcoming obstacles in life, has uh, sent out a series of tweets that he got great news. That he beat cancer again following a myriad of tests this week. So he probably will be back out there for college hoops, wouldn't you think? Yeah, let's hope. All right. Next, worth a shot. Japan encouraging young people to drink more alcohol to save restaurant nightlife. Finally, pitch in, be patriotic in Japan and drink something. The purpose of the announcement is to revitalize the industry, according to Japan's National Tax Agency. Applicants between the ages of 20 and 39 are encouraged to submit business plans to boost alcohol sands to young people Ahead of the contest in November, tax revenues from alcohol plummeted from $800 million in 2020 uh, to, to about $800 million. Uh, meanwhile, as working from home uh, made strides to a certain extent in COVID-19, many people may have come to the question whether they need to continue the habit of drinking with colleagues to deepen communication. So now they're growing up, but it's hurting the industry. If the new normal takes root, there'll be an additional headwind for tax revenue. So they'll have to raise taxes if people don't drink more because they won't have enough to tax. So they have to get revenue from somewhere. You no, know what I think the story is really about? You know how we did um, the story on their declining birth rate a few days ago? No, they really want people to drink more so they'll have more babies. 
Maybe. I like that. Right? <laughs> Next. So this muscle car business that our, former, that our current president is all for, it's getting hit because of the electric car industry. Thundering gas-powered muscle cars for decades, a fixture of American culture, will be closing in on their final Saturday night cruise in the coming years as automakers begin replacing them with super-fast cars that run on batteries. So no more Challenger, Fiat Chrysler, uh, Challenger, Daytona SRT concept car is now in. So no more of these big Mustang cars. Is that okay? My question is, are they going to make them have like that loud revving just so people still get the feel of it? No, I hear well, those are quiet. Electric cars are quiet. And in fact, I had a hybrid car and it was a problem because they say that kids on the block don't get out of the way because they can't hear the car. No, don't they make sort of the EV sort of hum a little bit now so you do hear something? They don't have to hum, but they did that on purpose. I did not know that, but I, I it, it might somewhere. be a good news. Yeah. Humming on purpose. <laughs> so listen, uh, go to BrianKilme.com. Find out to, if you can join me September 8th in Albany. A few seats left. And then in Brandon, Mississippi in November 12th. And Tulsa, Oklahoma, KRMG fans on the 13th. Watch Saturday night, 8 o'clock. One Nation. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.